The following sermon is from Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church in New York City at the corner of Fifth Avenue and 55th Street in the heart of Manhattan. We welcome you to worship with our vibrant community of faith. Head to FAPC.org and join our email list and be sure to subscribe to FAPC in New York City, our YouTube channel. And now we invite you to breathe deep and lean into the beauty of worship with Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church. Let us turn to the Holy Word as it is read by Elder Salome Nufel, a senior in high school and also a member of our anti-racism response team. Listen to God's Holy Word. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats and he will put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at the left. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, come, you that are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. Then he will say to those at his left hand, you that are cursed, depart from me into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not give me clothing. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, truly I tell you, just as you did not do it for one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. A few years ago, our denomination, the Peace USA, invited congregations and presbyteries to become part of the Matthew 25 initiative, inspired by the passage that Salome just read. The invitation to these institutions was to participate and think through three aspects. One, building congregational vitality. Two, dismantling structural racism and three, eradicating systemic poverty. I'll say it again, building congregational vitality, dismantling structural racism, and eradicating systemic poverty. The way that presbyteries and congregations go about doing this would be different for each individual institution because different contexts call for different things. In 2019, the Presbytery of New York City voted to be a Matthew 25 presbytery. And in January of 2020, 
the Denominational Matters Committee made a motion to our session for us to become a Matthew 25 church. The session voted yes. And in doing so, we affirmed that much of the work that we were already doing is already aligned with the initiatives that Matthew 25 says. I think about the amazing work that our outreach team in the Ecumenical Outreach Partnership does, the partnership we have with Frontera de Cristo, and the work they do at the border. I think about our partnership with First Presbyterian Church Jamaica. The fact that we have an anti-racism response team shows that we take this Matthew 25 initiative seriously. Yet one of the things that this initiative asks us to do is to consistently check our blind spots. Where have we been complicit in structural racism or systemic poverty? Are there times that we may be ignorantly doing more harm than good? What might we do to educate ourselves on? I believe this Matthew 25 initiative is good for us because we can be proud of the work that we have done and at the same time strive to do better. So we turn to this passage that guides this initiative. Now, I'm going to admit, this is a really odd passage. I think it's clear what it calls of us. It says it right there. We should feed the hungry and thirsty, welcome the stranger, clothe the naked, care for the sick, and visit the prisoner. That seems pretty clear. But what do we do with this sheep and goat stuff? What do we do with these images of eternal life and eternal punishment? It's kind of bizarre. So one of the things that we have to remember is that the occupation of a shepherd was one that would be familiar to those who Jesus is speaking to. Although the disciples previously were fishermen, tax collectors, and other occupations, they generally knew the role of a shepherd. Goats and sheep were intermingled throughout the day, and at night when it was time to settle down, the shepherds began to separate the sheep from the goats. That was routine. So this imagery to those hearing it is not so far-fetched. Yet what I think hangs most people up is the imagery of the righteous, which according to the passage are those who care for the marginalized and the poor, will have eternal life. And those who do not will go away into eternal punishment. What do we do with this aspect of the passage? Because we know that we all have fallen short at some point or another. And don't we confess our sins and are reminded of Christ's forgiveness? Doesn't the book of Romans say that nothing can separate us from the love of God? Is this grace thing really true? Throughout the scriptures and in the book of Matthew, grace reigns. Romans 5 reminds us that the good news of the gospel is that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And we trust in everlasting grace. And I actually think that Jesus does something incredibly creative and powerful when bringing up this judgment imagery. If you're consistently fixated on who is in and who is out, then you're missing the point. The point is clear of what Jesus wants of you. Jesus wants you to participate in deep justice and gives you a blueprint. And when you do this, you get to participate in actions of justice and liberation and you actually experience what salvation looks like. You see the images of the kingdom of God that are unlike anything other that you've seen. But those that are fixated on who gets in and who gets out, they're missing the point. They're missing this experience in the kingdom of God. A commentator for this passage puts it this way. In many ways, Matthew's depiction of the last judgment 
is a wellness check. Its purpose is not to condemn or scare, but to provide a snapshot of our overall health, development, learning, and growth that should lead us to new habits and ways of life. After all, as our doctor wants us to flourish, so does our creator, redeemer, judge, and king. And this makes sense to me. When I go for my annual physical, they generally tell me the things that I should be working on. And when I follow those things, it sets me up for success and I experience life better. Yet when I ignore, or typically ignore, it, my body doesn't feel quite right. This passage is not meant to condemn, but to inspire to actually take seriously what Jesus calls us to do. And we see this often in the American Christianity. There's a passion to evangelize in hopes of saving souls. There's this desire to steep our heads into doctrine and try to get to know the divine more with our minds. All the while we ignore the body and forget that we are called to take care of people holistically. If we are to take Jesus' word seriously, presenting the gospel is more than just mind and soul. It also feeds the body. And for too long, the American church has forgotten that. It has said, just preach the gospel. Don't talk to me about this justice stuff. But justice is part of the gospel of Jesus. In fact, when debating slavery, some argue that slavery was justified because they could convert African slaves into Christianity and save their eternal souls. That's not true salvation. Salvation is more holistic than that. Salvation includes liberation. And this is why we need to take this wellness check in Matthew 25 more seriously, because people's bodies and lives are at stake. Our good friend, the Reverend Dr. Charlene Han Powell, says that at the crux of Matthew 25 is not a call to right belief, but a call to right relationship with God and with one another. Whatever we do to our siblings, we do to Christ. And throughout the Gospels and the parables, we see G Jesus talking about this kingdom that is unlike any other kingdom. Reverend John Molina Moore, another friend of Fifth Avenue, says that every kingdom built by humans has fallen short. They all put borders to say who is in and who is out. Every empire and kingdom in some ways not equal for all people. And somehow or another, each kingdom has made someone else feel less than. Yet in Jesus' kingdom, we get to participate in this practice that turns all of that upside down and welcomes all to the table of Christ, where everyone belongs. Imagine with me. You're invited over for this amazing meal. It's almost lunchtime. I'm getting hungry. There is all of your favorite foods, and then some foods that you've never tried before, and you think, good golly, that's good. And you're glad that you are there. You have a place at the table. And when it comes to those that are hungry and thirsty and downtrodden, it is vital for them to have a place at the table. It is vital for the church that they have a place at the table. Christ invites everyone at the table, and we get to participate in bringing them to that table. But I want you to continue to imagine with me. We've been at that dinner with good food, 
but you feel too uncomfortable to speak up. The conversation going around is good and you listen and you feel like you can contribute. But you also feel like your voice would be overshadowed by others. At Christ's table, your voice has meaning and you have a voice at the table. So now this meal with good golly good food also has another layer of deepness to it. Jokes are going around and thoughtful and meaningful conversation is happening. And at Christ's table, you not only have a place at the table, but you also have a voice at the table. When it comes to racial equality, those who have been marginalized and left out of the conversation, we strive for them to not just have a place at the table, but also a voice at the table. And to have a voice at a big dinner table like this means that some people will have to take time to listen, to affirm, and to engage. We're called to bring people to the table, but to also to let them have a voice at the table. But there is more. Continue to imagine this big old dinner with me. There's good golly good food, the conversation is flowing and it's great, but you're fully aware that you're in somebody else's home. And it would be rude to go to the refrigerator and grab yourself another beverage. And you know that at some point, you need to go home. Because as good as that was, you just don't quite belong there. At Christ's table, you not only have a place at the table, a voice at the table, but most importantly, you belong. You are family. When my parents have people over at their home, my dad always says to their guest, esta es tu casa, this is your home. And I know he means it because I know nothing will delight my dad more than seeing people kick off their shoes, go to the pantry and grab a bag of chips and a soda from the fridge, and then to sit down, join the conversation and be part of the family. And when I look at the scriptures, what Jesus does time and time again is remind people that they belong, that they are indeed beloved children of God. And we see Jesus doing this not just by feeding the hungry and welcoming the stranger. Jesus does this by trying to dismantle and shake up the systems that have people hungry to begin with. Jesus shakes up the systems and structures that tell a woman from Samaria that she is unwelcome just because where she's from. And friends, if we are to take Jesus' word seriously, then we must participate in this family-like banquet where all should belong. When we exclude others based on their race, economic status, sexuality, or gender identity and expression, we divide the table. This table is there. But what happens when there are roadblocks in the way to get to that dinner? So when Jesus gives us this wellness check of faith, how are we doing in regards of inviting and showing people that they belong? How is your wellness check individually and us as Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church? I asked our youth last week what they thought. I asked them, what does Matthew 25 mean to you? And how can we better participate in dismantling structural racism and eradicating systemic poverty? And one of our students said, that we must have open conversations. We must learn from other people's experience because you cannot do this kind of work alone. You need other people. 
And after she said that, another student chimed in and said, it's true. And part of it is that we just don't know much about it. We haven't truly been educated on why things are the way they are. We don't know the roadblocks to getting to the table. About a year ago, our anti-racism response team put out a curriculum that presented opportunities for learning and discussion. And this was gone around in many community groups, and I visited a variety of these groups. And what was most profound was hearing from groups of diverse ages saying, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. For instance, one that shocked many of our congregation members was hearing about the racial discrimination of the GI Bill after World War II. This bill provided subsidized mortgages to millions of people coming back from the war to purchase their first homes. Many of our congregation members said that the GI Bill helped their families pass down homes and helped create a good path forward for their parents and ultimately them. Yet the way the GI Bill was administered, it left one million black veterans on the outside looking in. In New York and New Jersey, the GI Bill insured 67,000 mortgages. 67,000. Fewer than 100 of those went to veterans that were not white. In Mississippi, 3,200 of these mortgages were given to returning veterans. 3,200. Only two were given to black veterans. As a result, more white families were able to build equity, growing wealth for retirement and education for their children. But that was not true for most of the black veterans. And that is just one of the ways that structural racism has fabricated through our structure. One of the ways that you can take your wellness check seriously is by doing the hard work of educating yourselves and listening to the stories of others. There are great material out there for you. If you go to our website and look at our curriculum, you will find videos, articles, podcasts, and so much more. And it is a gift to hear and read stuff from Austin Channing Brown in her book, I'm Still Here, or Karen Gonzalez in her book, The God Who Sees Us, Immigrants, the Bible, and a Journey to Belong, or Caitlin Curtis in her book, Native, Identity, Belonging, and a Place to Belong. There is a plethora of great material out there. What is your wellness check? Do you need more education? Do you need to start thinking about your places of employment and how people are welcomed there? If you're a manager or an owner or a coach or a waiter, what kind of growth do you need to dismantle racist structures? There is no shame, no shame of knowing where you are in your own assessment. But what are you going to do to live better? What is our wellness as a church, as Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church? The senior pastor and our state of clerk asked the anti-racism response team to think and help the church process the discovery that three of our founding members, including our founding pastor, Reverend John Romaine, the fact that they were slaveholders during the time of being here at Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church. And that through the existence of this church, there were up to 85 more. That is a tough part of our family history as a church. As Dale Hansen, our archivist, said in an interview, which you can view on our YouTube page, and I'm paraphrasing him a little bit, 
He said, we can be very proud of our involvement to the city, country, and world for the last 200 years. But we do have some dark spots. Dale also shared with me that throughout his extensive research, the church was largely silent on the topic of slavery during the Civil War. At that time, Reverend Rice was the pastor here. In our centennial book, which is a record we have of our history from 1808 to 1908, says that Reverend Rice held the affection and esteem of the people by avoiding political topics. It was far easier to say nothing about slavery than to approach the topic at all. But now that we have this information, how do we repent of this? How do we repair? Are we going to take a page from Reverend Rice and just avoid the topic? I find hope that we have decided to have these conversations and that our session will be presented with recommendations for decisions on how we can better participate in dismantling racism. Dale says in his interview, we need to be put in difficult and uncomfortable situations because they will stick with us. We will forget the pleasant things very quickly. And taking a wellness check is uncomfortable. Again, we can be proud of the work we have done so far. I can't tell you how inspired I am by the questions you have been asking. The way that a Wednesday morning Bible study decides to talk about racial justice at least once a month. I have been fed and inspired by the wise words around racism that has been said from this pulpit by my colleagues. And I am floored by the adult education opportunities happening here. My heart is full, and I am proud of this church family. And at the same time, I'm hopeful for more things to come. Because you all are driven, and try your hardest to listen to the Spirit when she speaks. And love will find a way to move the needle. And even if we were to say no, the good news is love will find a way to reach out to the hurting and the marginalized. Throughout the Holy Scriptures, God rescues the oppressed time and time again. Because love always finds a way. Even if churches, institutions, and empires say no to those who should belong, love will find a way. And it's up to us whether we ride that wave of love. And it won't be safe. It won't be easy but it is certainly good. For those of you who have had to bear the weight of prejudice, racism, and ignorance, I am deeply sorry. That is something you should never have to experience. Know that you are a beloved child of God, and God has your back. God hears your cries, and love will find a way. Now, I know there might be some of you out there who might be thinking, Werner, I can't do this. I cannot think about structural racism anymore. I can't separate this kind of liberation from political views or agendas. And I just don't like it. Okay. But know this. You are still my sibling in Christ, and you are also a beloved child of God. And love will find a way. My hope and prayer is that at some point you may accept the offer to learn more. And I promise you that the kingdom will taste so much sweeter when seeing how wide and how big Christ's table is.
May you taste and see that the Lord is good. Friends, love will find a way. May you participate in that love. Siblings in Christ, you are loved, and through the grace of God, you are enough. Amen.